You're listening to the Exeter Vineyard Church podcast. New episodes each week. To watch the full video version of this podcast, head over to our website, www.exe.vin forward slash podcasts. We are starting a new series. We just finished looking through the book of Ruth, and we're going to do a series that's going to take us to the start of September called Kingdom Tasters. Uh, Taste and see that the Lord is good is from a psalm that I can't remember which number. But somewhere between 1 and 150, I can tell you that much. So, um, but the idea is what we're going to do is think about these tastes of the kingdom to come uh, that we get. And specifically, we're going to look at God's, uh, Jesus' miracles as a way of understanding the kingdom to come. So um, today I'm gonna, we're going to look at a miracle, but I'm also going to kind of explain the framework that we're looking at this to to think about. So when it comes to the miracles of Jesus, there's kind of like three ways we can think about seeing them. And it feels like they move in depth of uh, understanding or complexity as you go along. So the kind of the most basic thing is we look at Jesus' miracles and we think, well, that's some kind of proof that he is special. You know, he, he is powerful. He can do things that normal people can't do. That's why Jesus can do it. It's almost like Jesus is just a superhero. You know, he knows some magic and he might turn water into wine or raise someone from the dead. But it could have just as much been he could have been able to walk up walls or control lightning with a hammer or fly or shoot a web out of his wrists, depending on which Spider-Man franchise you believe, or just being intelligent enough as a 15-year-old to make. Anyway, I'm going off on one there. And the fact that spiders shoot, the web comes out of their bum, which no comic has been brave enough to tackle. Anyway, so... So this idea that Jesus is just like, oh, he can do things that no one else can do. And this sometimes gets, especially like in kids' work often, we talk about Jesus is a superhero. And he is like a hero. And of all kind of heroes, he is the most super of them all. But he's not like a comic book superhero. It's not a very good theological understanding. And this can kind of like, if it's not talked about, if we don't think about it, I think often we can have the, the idea at the back of our head that Jesus was like so unique that as a baby in the manger... He knew all about bacteria, germ theory, supernovas, quantum mechanics. You know all these things? But the Bible tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, you know, one person in the Trinity, set aside his power, his divine privilege, all his divine nature, and was born as a human being. So one thing we need to understand is the miracles. We look at miracles. Jesus did those miracles not because he was a superhero or had superpowers. He did it as a human being in obedience to what God was asking him to do, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not, so, um, see, the miracles aren't just the, a proof that he is special. Although in the Bible they are used as evidence, he, he talks about them as evidence that he is doing something unique. Um, but they weren't just random either. They weren't random. It, could, it wasn't just it could have been super strength or something else like that. The second way that we often think about miracles is we think about them as metaphors. They're like, extreme illustrations of principles about what it is to living uh, you know our life so you're driving down the m5 you get a puncture and you think jesus can calm this storm you know because that's sometimes how we take them and it is a helpful way to think about miracles it reminds us of god's power 
But these are more than just an, an example that we can take principles from. I think they, we should take them as historical facts. There's a lot of evidence that they happen. People, non-Christians, talked about them. But there's something deeper than just showing he was powerful and that he's still powerful in our lives today. So over the next few weeks, we're going to think especially about this third way of seeing Jesus' miracles, that they are God's kingdom breaking in to the current age. So I know I've shown this diagram before, but I think it's such a helpful way to understand that everything in the Bible fits together into the same universe. You know, it's all the same thing. So if we think about time going from left and right, and then the story of the Bible tells us that God created the universe and it was perfect. So it was perfect. Everything was wonderful. Human beings lived in harmony with one another and with God. We were given a job to do. It was perfect but not finished. So we were told to go and bring order and beauty into creation. That was our job. And then this thing happened, which theologians call the fall, which is when people decided, actually, I don't want to do it God's way. I'm going to do it my own way. And it broke the universe. And then we entered into imperfection, which is this current age. The age that we live into is imperfection. I do not need to prove this. You just need to look in the newspaper, you know, or you just need to look in your own lives, or you just need to look in your own hearts. And we realize that things are not the way we know that they should be. You know, everything is so rubbish. So that's the age we live in. But we have this linear understanding of, of history that we are headed somewhere. So there's this thing the Bible talks about called the day of the Lord, the great and the terrible day of the Lord or judgment day, when God is going to come and do something to the whole universe and reset it, which is the age to come or the, where God is finally king of everything. You know, everything acknowledges there's no more rebellion of imperfection. Everyone acknowledges every part of creation, acknowledges that God is king. And we have the age to come, the kingdom of God. So historically in churches, people have kind of tended to fall. To, you know, we understand this. It was really good. It's rubbish. It's going to be really good in the future. We can have all sorts of kind of funny ideas about what the future is going to be like. It's not sitting on clouds, playing harps. It's not an eternal church service because that would be awful. Um, <clears throat> It is, you know, anyway, we'll get to that. But, um, well, in the, in the age to come, it tells us there's no suffering, there's no pain, there's no selfishness, there's no ego. That everything, you know, we are restored to meaningful. We get to, you know, the whole thing of you do a day's work and at the end you think, I've achieved nothing. Instead, you have this, uh, this sense of uh, in community with other people doing things that, that are always fruitful, always meaningful, so it's really to be looked forward to. But Christians tend to see themselves in one or two camps. It's historically different denominations or theologies. So there's ones that just feel like, well, we're in the current age. And what we've got to do is wait for the age to come. We just have to hunker down until, you know, the, the good news when either we die or Jesus comes again. That's what we're looking for. And we've just got to survive the best we can until then. It's... Uh, it's a theology called Midlerism from a distance. The world, yeah, God is watching us. God is, like God's far off. He's not doing anything. One day it'll all get sorted. I have written down all three verses here. I was going to do it, but I'm just not feeling it. So you can have that. Or some denominations, some denominations think the age to come is here. So they're like, well, I am a new creation. 
And uh, the doctors told me I've broken my leg, but I'm not accepting that word. I'm accepting the Lord's word for healing. My leg is not broken. It's absolutely fine. There's no problem with my leg. All this. So you can have people do that as well. And what's really interesting is when people live in those areas, how often I think God challenges them. So the church we're in, Vineyard, and lots of churches that started around the same time in the, in the 70s and 80s, it was people that, that were that God's far away, he's not involved, we just need to be moral, upstanding people, follow the rules. And then the Holy Spirit started breaking into their lives, and they were like, I don't even believe that this happens and this is happening. So they, they're challenged from their idea of we're just surviving there. And then you have people who believe that the age to come, if we just have enough faith and we name it and claim it, it will happen. And then find that they have struggles that aren't explained by their lack of belief or sin. You know, it's just like, actually, I'm still experiencing the broken world. And this is how Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about it as it's already here. It is yet to come. It is close by, it is in, you know, in the future, all these things. So it all happens. And this is how we understand that. So in the midst of the current age, Jesus came. Jesus came. God came as a human being to begin restoring the process or undoing what humans did at the start. When humans were disobedient, went their own way, Jesus came as a human, living as a human without any special privilege, but choosing to be always obedient to God, to always choose to do the right thing. And in his life, things started happening. We're going to look at today miracles. He he forgave sin. He, you know, did all these amazing things. And the things he was doing were stuff from the age to come, the kingdom to come, where there is no pain and suffering, where there is no death, where there is no sin. So he starts doing kingdom stuff in his life. And then at the end of his life, he's crucified, and it's like the same dotted line. The Bible is showing us that the the great and terrible day of the Lord, Judgment Day, came on Jesus on the cross. You know, there's all this symbolism. The earth goes dark for three hours, you know, all this. So Jesus goes through judgment within the current age and then breaks the whole system because he has chosen to do that. He's taken all the sin. And God works and he is resurrected. And so what he then does is he passes on. He takes our sinfulness and gives us his righteousness. He gives, uh, takes our imperfection onto the cross and gives us his perfection. And so because we have been given this as a gift, we are now not disabled from experiencing the age to come. The, the reason we couldn't just go to heaven is because it's like God's purity would just destroy us. So, But now we have purity. So the kingdom of God starts to break in into the current age. So we exist in this time when the kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet, simultaneously. The, this is going on. that We have opportunities because of what Jesus has done, because of how we now are, are positioned as uh, people who have trusted in Jesus we have opportunities to expect or see the kingdom of God break in through our lives, but at the same time we are living in this broken world. So this is called uh, 
inaugurated, enacted inaugurated eschatology. Eschatology is the theological word for the end times, for the, everything being sorted out. And the fact it's enacted and inaugurated is Jesus has started it and it starts to act in our lives now. So today I wanted to look at a miracle that kind of illustrates some of these elements. And we're going to look at the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. So the story is told in Matthew, Mark and John. The different Gospels pick up different details. We're going to look at Matthew, the version in Matthew. This is from Matthew 14. So oh, let me give you some context for this. So um, John the Baptist has just been executed. This was Jesus' cousin, his friend. So Jesus wants to go off and be on his own just to, you know, like to grieve. And he goes off and he goes to this wilderness, but the crowds follow him. And so 5,000 men plus women and children follow him out into the wilderness and he has compassion on them. He says, we've got to do something. So he does the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, which was an incredibly political act in an occupied country to suddenly be offering food production, you know, outside like this. And so, and people recognize this. They think, um, you know, this is like Moses in the desert with the manna. And actually, that story that we uh, just went had here, um, oh, no, hold on. This story we had here, actually, this is, so it's like the Exodus story as well, that the age to come is slavery in Egypt, and then Moses leads them out of uh, captivity into the promised land. These kind of echoes go on all the way through. So, they, so the people are seeing this. They want to make Jesus king. So he sends the disciples off. He tells the crowd, just go home, all right? It's something like that. And then he goes off and prays, and that's where we pick this story up. So immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke out to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Immediately, Jesus reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So... What does this mean? How do we interpret this as a miracle? So, in, you know, we've talked about those three different ways. The first way, as a demonstration of power, this is a real demonstration of power. This is the first place, I think, where the disciples uh, worship Jesus. So that for them, this was a real symbol. And there are some Old Testament uh, writings that talk about God walking on the waves and all this. So for them, the, as a demonstration of power, it's, it's real evidence. And in terms of a metaphor, I think it's really significant as well. Um, apparently, this isn't like 
you know there's the other storm when they're scared they're going to die and Jesus is asleep. Apparently this isn't the same kind of situation here. It's not that they are full of fear, but it's, it says they are just straining at the, the oars. It's just a hard word, a slog. The, the Greek word apparently is about, it's like torture. You know, like they're just going at it. So it's a, they're in a place of extreme, just slogging, doing so much work and making no progress. Um, and that is a place we can often find ourselves in life where we just think, this is just such hard work, I'm not getting anywhere. And what I do love on this is that Jesus comes to them via the storm. You know, like said, so via the waves, Jesus is coming to them. And I think that is true, that often it is through our suffering that we get to meet Jesus so much more. And there was some survey about what is the time of most spiritual growth in your life. And the majority of respondents said in hard times, in times of suffering is when I felt I've grown the most spiritually. Because at those times, we are not, we become much more dependent on God rather than just on our own strength and power and the stuff we have around us. But I want to talk in terms of the kingdom breaking in. What does this tell us about the kingdom breaking in? Is, do we read from this that in the age to come, when we will have resurrections and bodies, you know, it talks about us having this different type of body, will we be able to walk on water? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's what this verse is telling us. We do see in the resurrection body of Jesus, the one resurrection body we get to read about, that he can do different things that that normally he wasn't able to even get into a locked room, he can appear, disappear, whatever. I don't think that this um, is telling us that in the age to come we'll be able to walk on water, but I think it does show us something about the age to come so, uh, and our relation to it now. So I want to do three points. So the first is the miracle shows us that the kingdom of God overlaps our current age. These two things are going on simultaneously. So both realities in this passage are existing simultaneously. There's the storm and the fruitless struggle and the hopelessness of the disciples. That is real. But at the same time, there is Jesus walking through the waves. And apparently, again, as I was reading about this, the, the Greek word, there's a number of Greek words they could have chosen for walking. And the one they choose is more like a stroll. So the disciples are straining, and Jesus is strolling over the waves. Jesus is in a different reality. I mean, it's not just that the waves were solid to him, because if you, or the water was solid, because if you tried to move over, like, buckling, you know, like, the solid ground suddenly started moving in big waves, you wouldn't be able to walk. So Jesus is walking in a different reality in the kingdom of God. And so I think we see, this is, uh, helps us understand that there, simultaneously in this room right now, there is the age we live in and the current age both here, that, and we get to access them. So a very famous verse that shows us this is Philippians 4, 7, which, where it says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's telling us the only reason that it needs to transcend our understanding is we are in a situation where we think, logically, I should not feel peace in this situation because this, this current age reality is awful. I should be feeling all sorts of anxiety and worry and stress. But the age to come, the Holy Spirit is bringing me the age to come, which is a peace that doesn't make sense. It transcends my understanding of why I should feel it because these are 
existing at the same time. So this miracle shows us these two realities coexist. Secondly, we access the age to come, the kingdom of God, through Jesus. So we see this in Peter. He enters into that other reality when he trusts in Jesus. He says, if it's you, let me walk on the water. Apparently, if you were a disciple of a rabbi, your expectation is anything the rabbi can do, he will show you how to do. So apparently, this idea of him getting out of the boat and saying, if it's you, let me walk, is not so unusual. He would just think, this is, I want to learn this. This is what I am your disciple for. So when he trusts in Jesus, he is, gets to experience that reality. But when he gives himself over to fear, when he looks around him, he, he finds himself in the non-kingdom reality, the waves and starts to sink. So it's not about what we do. It's not about us convincing ourselves or, you know, like trying to twist our understanding so we believe something we don't really believe. Uh, just after, in the Gospel of John, just after the walking on water, Jesus says this. They say, tell us what we need to do. You know, like, what's the work God wants us to do? Jesus says this. The only work God wants from you is to believe the one he has sent. It's just that what Peter is doing on the water is trusting Jesus when he's walking. We just have to trust. So when Jesus says, why do you have so little faith? I don't think it's like, a, you know, like an assessment. You've failed. Your faith level was at 62 and it needs to be 75 is the minimum for walking on water. I think he's saying, you just need to trust me. I'm never going to let you down. You don't need to, you know, he says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? It's not, it's all, it's not about us having faith quota it's about trusting Jesus in this relationship so they coexist we access the kingdom through Jesus and then the third is that God's call takes us into the kingdom that's how we experience the kingdom it's through what God calls us to do all of Jesus' miracles were because he was obeying God what God asked him to do and the Holy Spirit empowered him See, the calling of God itself is supernatural. So he, Jesus, is ta- Jesus has to cross, get to the other side. He, he, that's God's call, go to the other side. So he just walks across the water. But so for us, our calling, however basic or everyday it seems, is supernatural and brings us into God's kingdom as we obey the call. So really simply, to just be salt and light to the world around us, as we are obedient to that, as we are not concentrating on our own stuff, our own self, as we are not giving into the culture of gossip or self-promotion or anything like that, as we want to be salt and light, as we want to point people to God, as we obey that call, which is the call for all of us, we are entering into the kingdom. It means that it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. We open that opportunity up. So we take the kingdom reality into our homes, our schools, our workplaces, you know, our interests, our friendship groups, just means there's more opportunity for God to be doing work in there. So those three things for us to think about with this kingdom of God, that it exists simultaneously with all the rubbish that we've experienced in our lives, that is through trusting in Jesus, we start to, that is how it breaks in. And as we do what God asks us to do, however basic, however simple it seems, however normal it feels, we open up the opportunity for the kingdom to come in. So I just wanted to finish on the depth of this passage as well, because in verse 27, when they say, 
you know, they think it's a ghost. And Jesus says uh, that, you know, it is me. I can't remember what he says. Um, I can't remember how they translate it. Uh, Take courage, I am here. So I don't speak Greek. I just read this. But the... The Greek words they use are the same way they construct the Greek words for when God gives his name to Moses. So do you remember the burning bush? It says, uh, I am who I am. So, what, so a way you could translate that is when Jesus crossing the light, he says, don't worry. He could, he could be translated as, don't worry, the I am is here. So Jesus is revealing his nature to them. The same words that Moses heard at the burning bush. And in the the passage in Mark, it says Jesus was about to pass by, which again is a trigger word for people that, for the Jewish people that would have read it, because when God revealed himself to Moses and Isaiah he part, and Ezekiel, he used this thing, I'm going to pass by. So Moses in Deuteronomy 22 and Ezekiel in the passage we looked at at the weekend away, both times God reveals himself to them and he says, but you can't, you can't look at me, you can't see me properly. So I'm going to pass by, and then you can glimpse me as I go. You can kind of glimpse the back of me as I go. So when it says he was about to pass by, they're reminded, the I am is here, he's about to pass by. This is what is called in the Old Testament a theophany, the uh, physical experience of meeting God. Uh, so in all of those, you see the back of God. But in this one... I am here, Jesus turns, faces them, and gets into the boat with them. This is the whole difference that Jesus has done, is that when we look at Jesus, we get to see what God is like. He is, we're not just seeing the backside of God as he moves away from us, because otherwise it would destroy us. Jesus is doing something so remarkable that we get to meet God and see him face to face. And this is God, in the midst of their struggle, getting into the boat with these people who are in the middle of a hard time. And so this is the gospel that we need to keep reminding ourselves of. Jesus has done everything to enable us to access this kingdom. It is not based on what we do or anything. And he did this because he was at the cross, the one who went under the waves. He drowned in the sin of the world so we can be pulled to safety. And so the Bible is reminding us that we need Jesus. So we often think of life as a journey. That's quite a common metaphor. And I think without thinking, often we think of it as a journey on land. So if you're on the land and a storm hits, you can find a cave or shelter under a tree or maybe there's a building you can go into, all these places. But really, a journey on the sea is a better example because when a storm hits on the sea, there is no refuge you can go to. So they did some kind of um, psycho uh, sociological study about people's reactions when other people had hard times. And so, you know, they would, they would find out how people reacted when someone they knew had some awful thing happen to them. And what they found was there was this large proportion of people or, or percentage of the way people thought that blamed the victims in those hard times. You know, someone's having a hard time and... People were kind of, they're kind of, well, you know, like this for them. And it, they, they kind of got to this point where they think this was a self-protection mechanism that we use because we have this feeling like, well, you know, it might happen to them, but 
I'm too clever or too well-prepared or too skilled, you know, I would probably dodge that because we can't face the idea that life could just throw something like that to us at any time. But the Bible's telling us that life is like a sea journey. When, when those storm hits, there's, not, there's no cleverness that can save us or stuff like that. But Jesus can. Jesus can meet us in the storm. That's why we need him as the Lord of the storm. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about Exeter Vineyard Church, head over to our website, www.exe.vineyard.com.